Gospel of Mark, chapter 11. Mark, chapter 11. This past Monday night, the sports world, and in many ways, the nation was shaken as the Bengals played the Bills in one of the most important games of the year. And I see Owen here today, Owen Spradling, and I know that he and his dad were at the game. Was anybody else in Cincinnati last Monday night? Okay, Owen's got his Bills toboggan on back there. Uh, the Bengals got off to a good start, and in one early play, T. Higgins caught a pass and was tackled by DeMar Hamlin. A hard collision, but it certainly didn't seem like anything out of the ordinary in NFL football. DeMar Hamlin stood up, and many of you have seen it over and over again, and then he collapsed backwards. Trainers and medical staff immediately went to work and it became our understanding that CPR was given to him for nine minutes on the field. Not in an ambulance, but on the field. The, the description and the pictures of the players led all of us to believe this was more than just an injury, that something was wrong. There was such shock and concern that immediately many of the Bills players were on their knees, and before long, many Bengals players we're praying, asking God for mercy, and asking God for help. Now, folks, in football, we see injuries all the time. But there was something traumatic about what was taking place on national TV Monday night. Players prayed as a team and together. And Owen, it's my understanding that there were some people in the stadium that had huddled together and they were also praying. And a good decision was made in a multi-million dollar industry. And that was that the game would be postponed. Dan Orvlosky of ESPN, a former quarterback himself in the NFL studio, said everyone's talking about prayer and I really feel like we need to pray. So he said, I'm going to bow my head and close my eyes, and I'm going to ask God to intervene on behalf of DeMar Hamlin. Many of you have heard that prayer. It's all over social media. Prayer, prayer, prayer. And many of you are now reading reports that his progress continues to get better. When he could communicate with a tube still in, his first communication was, did we win the game? And the doctor responded, yes, you did. You won the game of life. Folks, could it be, could it be that God is choosing to use an unlikely vehicle like the NFL to get the attention of the nation because I'm telling you, everybody that was praying was not a sold-out believer in Jesus Christ. 
But I believe many were recognizing we're helpless, we're hopeless. Oh, God, save this young man's life. And my prayer is, as God brings him through this, my prayer is, on the other side, he knows Christ is a Savior, and he will be a mouthpiece for the Lord Jesus Christ and the miracle healing power of Christ. And folks, I'm telling you, we are on the threshold of something. Today, during the ball games this afternoon, uh, I believe even more so than number threes being spray-painted on the fields, on the 30-yard lines, that there will be more uh, response and softness and gratitude uh, for life. We've looked at our own mortality in the mirror. And life has to have a bigger purpose than just living. I don't know who the oldest person in here today is. 95? Most of us won't live to be that old. But God's got a purpose. And he wants you to glorify him with your life. That's why he put us on planet Earth. He wants you to live for him. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to know him. And my prayer is today that even as we think about uh, the prayers of a nation in the midst of a, of, of a trauma like we've all witnessed, Mark chapter 11 is a prescription that Jesus gives the church. So bow your heads if you will. Father, have your way. Help us in the next few moments. Help me rightfully divide the word of God. And Lord, I pray in the next few moments that uh, we just take a good look. First of all, if we know you. Secondly, Lord, are we living for you? And then maybe thirdly, the real question is, what does my prayer life look like? So help us in Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 11, we're going to begin with verse 12. Jesus has come into Jerusalem, heading to the cross. Verse 12, the Bible says, Now the next day when they had come out from Bethany, Bethany was about, I think, two miles from Jerusalem. It was the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Jesus often would stay there. He was hungry, the Bible says. How in the world could the king of glory be hungry? Let me tell you how. He was all God and all man. The God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a picture of his humanity. This is a picture uh, of his body. And the Bible says, And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if it perhaps he would find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. And in response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Now the presence of early leaves was an indicator. It was an indicator that there should have been something there. It was an indicator that there should have been some fruit. And I believe when you look at this first part of the text today, it really is a picture for us. 
to help us understand the things of God. Let me give you two things right off the bat. First of all, the tree showed signs of life by having leaves. It showed signs of life by having leaves. It looked good on the outside, but there was nothing there. Now, I wonder this morning, church family, have you ever felt like you've looked good on the outside, but nothing's there? Um, Renee fixed some egg rolls the other day. They, not the kind that many of you make from scratch, uh, the good ones. It, 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 it's the kind that you buy frozen, and we were kind of in a hurry to get it with the rest of the meal, and, she, and I, I'm not sure, I think she put them in the oven, and boy, after a couple bites, it looked good on the outside, but there was nothing there. It looked good on the outside, but there was nothing there. You know, there have been times in my Christian life when I felt like that. Have you? You know, a lot of times people, I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of folks around the state of Ohio respect our church. They just don't know us as well as we know ourselves. And my prayer is that when we think about a prayer and we think about what Jesus' teaching here is, that if there are leaves, if there are indicators that there should be some fruit there, there should be some life there when he comes. This is also a picture of Israel. It's a picture of religious leadership. Godly on the outside, corrupt on the inside. No faith, no fruit. Here's the second thing. If there's no faith, you're not going to find fruit. The Bible says it's impossible to please the Lord without faith. Without faith. Now, you'll say, well, Brother Greg, you've just said that there have been people praying all over the, the world probably for, for Damar Hamlin. Are you telling me that God is answering their prayers just like he is answering the prayer of the believer? Uh, mark your Bible here. I, th I, think, I think it's John 9, okay? Go with me. John 9, verse 31. The Bible says, now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Look at me. Let me tell you the first prayer that God wants to hear from you. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me of my sin? And come into my heart. I tell you, folks, the gospel is not confusing. The gospel's clear. When we do, when we do Bible school, we, we, we ABC the gospel for the kids. I mean, there's nothing easy about going to a, a cross and giving up your life and being executed for the sins of the world. But Jesus paid it all. He did it all for us. And you'll say, okay, then what about the prayers? God in his mercy has answered the prayers. God has heard the prayers of his children. And, and listen, God is not bound by uh, what, listen to me, what a surgeon says or what a doctor says. God can turn the tide on anything. Don't you love it when you have surgery? And, and uh, recently I was talking to someone and, and they said, they grabbed the surgeon's hand and said, can we pray for you? And the surgeon said, absolutely, absolutely. 
Amen? Or do you want a guy coming in who says, I finished in the top third of medical school. Okay. How many have you done? Well, well, this is my first. Um, or do you want one coming in saying, oh, Cody, I didn't get much sleep, but man, I'm wore out. I'm wore out. No, no, Jesus can do things we can't. And here's what I want to remind you of. Prayer is the key, but listen to me. When, when you see a lost person saying, God answered my prayer, it's the mercy and grace of God. God, God's not willing that any should perish. He wants you to be saved. You say, Brother Greg, you talk about being saved every week. We're so tired of hearing you talk to us Christians about being saved. I don't want to be your pastor and one day die and you not be in heaven. If it can happen to a 23-year-old, physically fit young man, it can happen to you. And when I put my hand on my heart, I'm not guaranteed of the next beat, only by the grace of God. Why? He has a purpose, amen? He has a purpose. So the fig tree showed signs of life, but nothing was there. No faith by the religious leaders, no fruit. And sometimes we can be the same way. There's no fire, there's no passion. Uh, we're a barren wilderness of religious activity, doing things like we've always done them, yet there is no fruit. Man, I pray God have mercy on us as a church. Don't cast us into the judgment of fig tree fire. Don't put us on a shelf not to use us anymore. One writer said it this way, God, give us what we need, teach us what to say, show us what to do. And in this passage this morning, Jesus does. He does. Now, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, many of you are familiar with it, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Those are instructions of what the church should be doing in going and taking the gospel to the world. In this passage this morning, Jesus reminds us of what's to be happening inside the walls of the church. Now, last week we looked at the priority of praise and worship. So let's pick it up at verse 15. Mark chapter 11. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of Thieves. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus gives us the marching orders in regards to what should be going on inside the church. And I, let's just make it personal this morning inside this church as we come together to worship. Circle some, some phrases with me here. They went into the temple, verse 15, and began to drive out. Circle the word drive out. Circle that combination. Who bought and sold in the temple. And then circle, overturn the tables. 
and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares, listen, through the temple. Now this is an interesting passage. The business, uh, the problem is not the, the business here. Pilgrims came to worship. Pilgrims needed animals to sacrifice, and they needed the opportunity to purchase them. That's where you see doves, because doves were often purchased by those that had the least amount of resources to pay. What does Jesus do? He makes it right. Now look at the progression when you look at 15 and 16. The Bible says, Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out. Who did he drive out? Those who bought and sold in the temple. So first of all, Jesus removed some things, removed some people who were practicing things he wasn't pleased with. Secondly, the Bible says, and he overturns the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Secondly, he rearranges things. He re rearranges things. I remember when I was a boy growing up and my mom would rearrange our furniture uh, in the living room. Uh, how many of you, uh, by a show of hands, like a different look quite often in the way your design is set up? Raise your hand. Okay, I've got uh, five of you. Okay. Uh, this is just a reminder that our church is still loaded with weirdness. Okay. No, I'm kidding you. I'm kidding you. When my mom would rearrange things, I thought it was so novel. I thought I'd come home from school and the couch was in a different place, and, and I thought, man, this is, this, this is just, just neat. Well, all, a lot of times rearranging is not neat. Years ago, many of you remember when this pulpit, I brought this pulpit out. Uh, it was given to me when I preached a revival by a church who custom made it. When I found out they were making it, you know the story. I said, stop production. Let me give you some dimensions from my pulpit. I want it this high. This is exactly the height of the other pulpit. I want the slope of the desk to be this angle. This is exactly the angle of the old pulpit. And I want it this wide. Big difference in the old pulpit and this one. The other pulpit, I could change clothes behind it and you'd never see me. This one, if I have a wardrobe malfunction, you're all in. You, you guys know. So I wanted some things from the old to be carried out if that was going to be the case. And, and I thought, oh, the church is going to pitch a fit because, it, I mean, I love that pulpit. I remember having this one in place and we came to worship and I told the story and you all heard the story, and you were polite enough, I think, to think, well, this is personal to Brother Greg, so I'm not going to drill him over that. But I really thank the Lord for this pulpit on some of those Saturday afternoons when the wedding's over and nobody's here, and we're putting everything back in place for this morning. It's easier to handle that kind of thing. But here's what I love about this pulpit. I just love when you look forward, you see a cross. The gospel that's preached behind this pulpit is not a different gospel that was ever preached behind the other. But folks, I'm telling you, sometimes 
rearranging things really puts us into kind of a, a spell, like, like it knocks us out of shape. Tom Rainer, in a book entitled, Who Moved My Pulpit? Uh, came from a, a, a secular book in business. Some of you may know about who, who, who Took My Cheese? It's something about using the picture of, of, of cheese being taken and mice and things like that. Well, they, they applied it to the pulpit or the church. So Tom Rainer uh, moved something to the pulpit, and, and, and about Friday, he began to second-guess himself. So Saturday morning, he came, and he took the new outs and put the old back in before the church service that Sunday morning. And when he came into the church early on Sunday morning, someone had changed the pulpits and put the new back and taken the old out. And he come in, he's like, who moved my pulpit? In essence, they did me a favor. But who did that? Who did that? You know, every now and then a church is, is, is mysterious. Uh, a few years ago, we had like people changing decorations and we're thinking, what in the world? What, what in the world is crazy? You know, we got crazy people in Camden. What, what's going on? Listen, every now and then, a rearrange is a good thing. A rearrange of priority, a rearrange of, of your passion to read the word of God, a rearrange of, of maybe what your week is gonna look like. And I wanna tell you something. If you wanna begin a good week, you put worship at the top and not last. It's not one of a bunch of stuff in your life, and, and maybe I'll get to go to church. Oh, that blesses a preacher's heart to see you out somewhere. Hey, maybe we'll see you Sunday. No, tell me you'll see me Sunday. Tell me you'll see me Sunday. So Jesus goes in, he removes part of the problem, he rearranges things, and then he clarifies with them what's expected in worship. Look at what he says. Verse 17. He refers to two Old Testament passages. He taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves? My house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, you have made it a den of thieves. Listen, that gives us a little tip-off to what Jesus is talking about. Uh, it was offensive for more than just one reason, being in the temple. There was a distraction in the temple because folks were running the business in the temple. They were overcharging. They made it extremely hard for poor folks to worship. Uh, they were selling, they were cheating their customers. And Jesus says, you've removed the main thing and you continue to do it your own way and it's a huge distraction. I wanna ask you a question this morning. What is the distraction for you when it comes to worship? Listen carefully. The first is unconfessed sin. It's unconfessed sin. Now, there are some of you here today that are battling things you know that are real in your life and they are a struggle. Most of us have been right where you're at. Until you get to the point of recognizing it and, and saying, Lord, I want to lay this at the foot of the cross. Can you help me? Will you help me? I can't change it. I can't do it alone. That's a distraction when you come to worship. Here's another, worry. 
Anybody worried this morning? Anybody anxious? I bet you, I bet you there are. Here's another distraction. Are you listening? If you are, say amen. Somebody else. Somebody else is a distraction. And make sure you understand something. The devil is the greatest actor when it comes to getting your mind off the things of God. You know, in the Old Testament, there were kings and priests who allowed God's house to fall apart into disrepair and to be used for unrighteous purposes. And here's what Jesus says in this passage. I'll have none of that. I'll have none of that. You know, we live in, we're in a building that's going on 19 years old in March. Uh, can you all remember back 19 years? Uh, remember how long this thing sat under snow at that winter? It was a nightmare. And then all of a sudden they got going when the weather got good and, and God has blessed us. So here we are 19 years later in this building and now things need to be repaired and fixed and go bad and need to be painted and updated and stuff like that. Jesus says, I'll have none of this disrespect when it comes to worship. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, I want you to listen very carefully, and I want to say this in love. Um, I don't want you to leave here this morning saying, Brother Greg has turned 61, and he's mean now. I want you to listen. I've turned 61, and I'm more wise than I was. We need to be very careful when it comes to worship. And I want to remind us again this morning, listen carefully, and everyone that's watching, hear, hear well. This is not a ball game, and this is not a school function. We're in the house of God, worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is worthy of our worship. Listen carefully. Parents, lead your kids. Restroom before church. Drink of water before church. Adults, you hear the same thing. Bring your own bottle of water if that'll help you. But every time somebody gets up and walks out, and I am not talking about medical or an emergency, but I'm talking about any time there's a whim to step out, it can be a distraction to other people. I'm going to preach through it. I'm going to preach through it. And I'm going to tell you, there have been disappointing times from the pulpit when I feel like anything goes. But I believe the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, if we're going to worship, this is the way it should look. And our house is going to be a house of prayer. So in the coming weeks, we're going to help us understand how that's going to change the look of our worship service. There are going to be times when we pray together in our worship service, not just from the pulpit. But I mean you and those around you. Because Jesus is saying, listen, this is what it's become, but this is what it is to be. You see, what happened here is commerce had trumped communion with God. And when I think of distractions, the Holy Spirit's moving, the Holy Spirit's speaking. God may want to move, but maybe he doesn't because we're moving. We're not quiet before him. So we prepare and we're ready. Here, here's another question. Are there any things in your life that trump communion with God when you come to the house of God? 
I mean, when we get here, let me give you a few. Activity. One of Satan's greatest tools is busyness. If, if you're busy, you think you're doing something productive. Another is preference. And a lot of times, my own preference is just selfishness. I, I admit that. But something happens when a church prays. Look at verse 18. And the scribes and the chief priest heard it and sought how they might destroy Jesus, him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. I love that. You see, when people witness what God does, they can't help but take notice. They can't help but take notice, and I think that's what a watching world has been doing when it comes to the, the, the illness and what we saw take place on national TV. People are taking notice that God is our hope. That God is our hope. Not, not a denomination, but the King of glory, Jesus Christ. Marcia picked perfect songs today. Jesus, 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 there's something about that name. You see, the crowd became a problem for the religious leaders. The crowd saw what was happening, and it scared them. They couldn't contain it. This is going to turn into an uprising that we can't control. Jesus was a real threat to the religious establishment. And brothers and sisters, as we think about what God wants to do in our life, let's make sure we recognize something. He is the source of the power. And if we're going to be a powerhouse of prayer, we have to recognize that it's God doing it. We've got to be willing to cry out for it in desperation and ask God to help us. Do you know this morning that you can know something about Jesus and never know him? Do you realize this morning that you can do some things that would please Jesus and never know him? Do you realize this morning that you could say some things that Jesus would say and never know him? And when you think about the church being a powerhouse of prayer, wouldn't it be something? Wouldn't it be something if God turned us upside down, rearranged it a few things, and says, okay, we're going to let you get some things in order. It may be uncomfortable at the beginning, but hang on. You're going to see power like you've never seen, and I'm going to lay my hand on your church. Listen, let, let Camden be a catalyst for revival in Preble County. Amen? Pray for every Bible-preaching pastor this morning that's lifting up the name of Jesus and thank God for those faithful men of God. Many have gone home like Brother Armstrong and your former pastors and Brother Metters. And thank God for faithful people like Lowell Spencer, who pastored for 50 years, and Fred Hill and Eaton. Not to the accolades of Ohio and the nation, but faithful to Preble County. Prayer. Prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed.